0: This is the Dan Grossa Show on 98.7 ESPN.
1: We do our first Behind Enemy Lines feature for you of the week. And, of course, the Jets' week four opponent, none other than the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are off to a one and two start. And Jerry Dulac, of course, does an outstanding job as part of the Steelers radio network. And he's nice enough to give us a couple of minutes on the program. Jerry, it's Dan Grassa, Long time, no chat. Hope things are well. Thanks for joining me.
2: Dan, uh, nice to be with you all as well, and I hope the same with you.
1: Absolutely no complaints whatsoever. And I guess one of these two football teams, one of these two one-and-two football teams, going to be doing a lot better come, you know, 4.30 on Sunday afternoon. But let's talk about your side of the story there. Uh, is this kind of what you expected to see from this team three games into the season so far?
2: Well, not after the first game. Uh, you know, they went to Cincinnati. Um, they did this last year when they went to Buffalo and beat the Bills in, in week one and they go to Cincinnati, um, you know, and they just, they, they pretty much dominate them seven sacks, five takeaways, uh, you know, four turn uh, four interceptions, one fumble that uh, actually was uh, like an interception as well. And, and yet they almost lost the game. And if it wasn't for a blocked uh, extra point by Minka Fitzpatrick with no time left to force overtime, uh, they would have lost the game. Um, But they played very well. And after that, after winning that game, getting New England at home, um, you know, and then then having Cleveland, you know, with no Deshaun Watson, Mm -hmm. you sat there and say, you know what? And then you got the Jets coming. You're thinking, okay, you know, maybe three and one, four and oh. And the opposite has happened. They've lost their last two games. Their defense can't stop the run. offense is getting a little, little better, you know, baby steps. But um, yeah, so. Uh, I, you know, I didn't think it would be 1-2, and two, but after that first week, I, you start looking at the 3-1, and 4-0, and oh, and you're thinking, you know, they're in a pretty good spot, but uh, they're, they're not right
0: now.
1: It's, it's certainly a transition year, and there's a lot of new faces, and starting, of course, at the quarterback position, because Ben Roethlisberger had been a staple there for almost two decades, and now it's Mitchell Trubisky, who's really nothing more than a placeholder. I think we all know that, but... Um, why do you think that they haven't been able to get on track? And when I say get on track, even try to be what they thought they could be this year, effective-wise trying to win football games?
2: You know, um, um, when you look at it offensively, they have a lot of, uh, you know, starting with Trubisky, but they have two young receivers. You know, Najee Harris is in his second year. They have two new guys on the offensive line. So they they kind of, uh, you know, kind of quietly admit that they're playing a little conservative um you know no no huddle um you know just uh you know Mitch Trubisky it does not have the freedom to audible most of the time at the line of scrimmage you know the excuse being there's just a lot of new guys in place and until they get comfortable with everything they're doing including Trubisky with the offense um that that they're not going to do that so that that's limiting right there um and so I, I think, um, you know, and when you look at it defensively, like I said, their inability to stop the run—they were they were last in the league last year—and you know, after three games, they're giving up basically the same amount of yards per game running the football. You know, Mike Tomlin said during the uh, preseason, Dan, that he thinks his defense could be great and dominant. Well, uh, you know, I don't—I never shared that belief, and even their own players understand that you know until they show they can stop the run you you can't be a dominant defense if you can't stop the run and other teams have had long drives against them you know the Steelers are last in the league in time of possession mm. so their offense isn't sustaining any drives and then and their defense is just allowing other teams to run through them and possess the ball and you know i mean the the the, the Bengals ran 94 plays <sighs> In the season opener, and the New England Patriots in week two ran off the final six thirty three of the clock, you know, six and a half minutes by running the football nine straight plays right down their throat. And so, when you can't get off the field and your offense can't sustain drives, it's not a good recipe.
1: And Cleveland, I mean, that's understandable. Cleveland's going to run the ball against a lot of teams. They did it to the Jets, as a matter right. of fact. But, I mean, the other two teams, maybe you don't expect it as much, certainly. Jerry Dulack of the Steelers Radio Network joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. How about, you know, the Steelers, their own run game? I mean, that has been a big part of this offense. But this year, they haven't really gotten it on track. They want to run the ball, but they can't. Do you think that's more the opposing defense, and is it because – they really don't have much of a downfield passing threat, given the quarterback constraints, and teams are just stacking that box and daring the QB to beat them over the top.
2: Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a little bit of that, Dan. Uh, and I say that, but then they didn't run the football very well last year either. I think they ended up being twenty-eighth in the league. You know, they don't get a lot of push from their offensive line. Now, I say that the last game against Cleveland. Uh, when I said earlier that the offense has taken baby steps, the running game look representable, and and you know Najee Harris can be a big time back, and I think it's taken time for the offensive line, so, you know, with uh, two new bodies in there uh, that they brought in in free agency, just to get uh, you know comfortable, if you will. Um, so, but we saw them be a little bit better against the Browns running the ball, uh, you know, and and so. Uh, ideally ideally what they want to do is they're not going to be run oriented, but they want to be able to run the ball to set up play action and to be able to use Mitch Trubisky's athleticism and his legs. We see a lot of uh, moving pockets. We see a lot of rollouts, bootlegs, things like that, things that they couldn't do with Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, the the main thing Mitch Trubisky does is he lines under center. Ben never did that uh, except in rare circumstances. Uh, So ideally, that's what they would like to do to run the ball better. Um, And we've just seen it in bits and pieces. And so maybe what we saw in Cleveland is a precursor to, you know, them being able to do it better. But uh, you know, have they to have to show it on a consistent basis, and it's not something they've been able to do.
1: Everybody knows what's ultimately going to happen one of these days is that they're going to turn the reins of the offense over to Kenny Pickett. I'm sure the fans are growing right. a little bit restless as far as that's concerned. Um, how much longer is the leash, you think, from Mike Tomlin, and how long they're going to allow Trubisky to run this offense? And uh, twofold on that, Jerry, how far along is Kenny Pickett right now in terms of being able to accept this responsibility of taking over this team?
2: Well, I'll answer the second part of that first, and and I will say this. Kenny Pickett was ahead of where they thought he would be in the preseason, Um, and so it's hard to gauge his development since then because he's obviously not getting the majority of the reps in practice, and he's not playing uh, in any games. So, you know, it's hard to say where he is right now, um, but, but where he was in the preseason was ahead of what they thought he would be. Um, he looks very comfortable in there, in there uh, when he's been in there, calm. And he's poised, um, and he can sling the football. There's, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, in terms of how long he'll stick with Mitch Trubisky, I don't think it's, I- I- any change is imminent uh, at all, Dan. Um, a lot's going to depend on how this team Bears one loss wise Uh, you know they got after the Jets they have a tough stretch coming up four games against teams who are combined 10 and 2 so the next four games after the Jets game it's going to be tough for them so if they beat the Jets they're 2 and 2 and then if they split they're you know the next ones are going to be 4 and 4 but that's a tough stretch and three of those four games are on the road so I, I think a lot's going to depend on where the team is after eight games and, and then I think it's, re, you know, uh, to your point, then yes, at some point in time, Kenny Pickett will be the starter. I don't know if that's in week eight, week 10, week 12, or next year. But at one point, he will be the starter. You don't draft a quarterback, uh, you know, on the first round and him not be uh, your starter at some point. Um, but, uh, you know, when you look at the rest of the league, though, you know, you talk about the Steeler
1: offense, and it's been sluggish, but, but then. The half the league yeah. offenses looks sluggish right now after three weeks. No, you're absolutely right about that. And not that Mike Tomlin – like Mike Tomlin, we know he's a great coach. He's never had a losing season, and he's never – no coach is going to punt on a season. But you would think that they know the reality of the situation. The organization itself knows that, as I said, this is a transition year, especially when you're eventually going to turn the reins over to a rookie quarterback, that you are going to expect these growing pains. And throw in the fact, you know, as we transition to the defense here, uh, Jerry – no TJ Watt, at least for a few weeks at a time. I mean that changes the complexion of that defense altogether.
2: Yeah, it is well and it changes the complexion of the football team because you don't have that guy. you know that the you know in their defense, the outside linebacker is the most important position on the defense, which makes TJ Watt the most important player on that defense. And when you take him out, it changes everything. All of a sudden, offensive coordinators don't have to worry about that disruptive game wrecker coming off uh, the edge. You know, a guy who's a, is a turnover machine. And so that makes a big difference in, in how other teams are going to attack uh, them. And without T.J. Watt, the last two weeks, their pressure has been minimal. Um, and, you know, that, str- <clears throat> excuse me, that stresses their, their secondary. Uh, you know, that's certainly not their strength. It's not a weakness. But Minka Fitzpatrick in the back end is, you know, is another big-time player and he helps make up for that. But when you don't have T.J. Watt, you know, that defense that you thought could be great and dominant all of a sudden is anything but because it just doesn't instill fear, that front seven. I mean, Cam Hayward's is just a tremendous player, but he can't do it by himself. And and when T.J. Watt's in there, obviously makes a big, big difference.
1: And Pittsburgh 0-6 lifetime when T.J. Watt doesn't play. So they still haven't figured out the winning formula when he's not out there on the field. To me, when I look at him on this defense and the role that he plays, I I, I know it's a different position. But I think back to those glory years, whenever Palomalu was injured, Jerry, and he wasn't playing, I thought that that Steeler defense was vulnerable is a strong word, but they were certainly more vulnerable than they were without him. He was the X factor. Feel the same way about T.J. Watt and what he means to this group.
2: Yeah, you lose. You know, they you lose their presence. Uh, you know, again, that the other team knows wants to know where those guys are on the field, uh, as like you always needed to know where forty-three was, and and you know, as a quarterback or as a coordinator, you want to know where ninety is, and you want to be able to contain them. Then let me go backward to your your previous question about Mike Tomlin mm-hmm. and and you know his his non-losing seasons 15 in a row and the mentality they have though you know they don't look at it as a transition year they look at it as it's just another challenge and that's the reason why he's never had a losing season so he you know they don't look at it as a college program well let's put Kenny Pickett in there and get him ready for next year he's interested in one thing and that's winning and he's going to play the people that he feels give them the best chance of winning. Now that doesn't always sit well, maybe with the fans, you know, they, if they win a game, um, you know, ten nine or 13, 10, they're happy with that. And that doesn't always sit well because, you know, with the fans who just get tired, maybe of a, of a, of a boring offense, but his mentality is to win. And if that means just playing Mitch Trubisky right now, as opposed to, you know, eventually the Kenny Pickett's going to be in there, then, then so be it. But that's the way he looks at it. It's the way he's always approached it. And that's the reason why he's gone 15 years without a losing record.
1: Always a well coached team, and that's why, even in these, if it's a close game and you're relying on one team to be the more fundamentally sound and they're not going to make the mistakes, you know, that's why, you know, having that head coach and having that structure and that foundation is always going to lend a hand, you would like to think, in maybe some of these evenly matched games and kind of expecting one on Sunday, to be quite honest with you here. Jerry, thanks for a couple of minutes tonight. Always appreciate getting together here in the conversation. Enjoy the game, and uh, we'll talk again real soon.
2: Uh, Dan, always good chatting with you
1: anytime, my friend. All right, you be good. There's Jerry Dulack of the Steelers Radio Network. Jets and Steelers coming up on Sunday. Of course, our coverage gets underway at 11 a.m. Greg Buttle and yours truly with the pregame show and then Bob and Marty with the call at one. Winnable game for the Jets? I think so. What's it going to take? Eight hundred nine We'll talk a little green and white football. We'll also... Share with you some of the remarks made by the two coordinators today out at Florham Park. And one is getting a little uh, extra attention, perhaps.
0: You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight.
1: who doesn't want to start their day
0: with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com.
1: Miami right now is trailing Cincinnati 7-6. What, about six and a half minutes to play in the first half out there in Cincinnati. Bengals are wearing their... I guess these are the color rush uniforms. Do they still? Is that still a term like color rush? Is that still a thing, or is it just like, hey, let's design a new uniform and a new helmet that maybe people are going to buy and sell because like every team is doing it, it seems like. But it's white on white. They got white helmets, white unis, tops, bottoms. I put a poll up on Twitter, which you could get by the way at Dan Gross at Graca. I said, what do you think of the Bengals' white unis? Thumbs up, thumbs down. So far, guys, overwhelmingly in favor of the uniforms 83% yes to 17% no you don't like them jacob's uh not yeah, his head not a huge fan of them is it the is it the uniforms or the helmets that you don't like i think it's the uniforms if it was like just the white helmets with the the orange uniforms i could do it or vice versa like the orange helmets and the white uniforms it completely being just white with the stripes almost looks like a kind of cheap I mean, it's like there's a problem. It's like there's a problem with your television, that the colors not working properly. Like right. why aren't the helmets orange like they should be? Right, like the white sheet of paper ran out of ink. somewhere. Yes, yes, somewhere. Exactly. I told you you needed to order that ink. Now we got to print out in black and white. I know this is a tricky game. You know, Dolphins have been like the cardiac kids the last two weeks, pulling out these victories. Bengals, of course, finally got a W to show for their efforts last week when they beat the Jets. And and, and I said it earlier, Miami's defense was on the field last week, 92 plays against Buffalo, 92. And you're a short week on the road. You know, could they exploit the Bengals' offensive line? That would also be a big factor in this game. And so far, they've kept Joe Burrow upright tonight, which is a step in the right direction. And Tua... You know, there were some questions as to whether or not he was going to play. He's got an INT in this game, but he's played okay. He's already thrown the ball for over 100 yards. And the Dolphins, the thing is, they're an extremely pass-happy team here in the first three weeks of the season. Like, like the running game is a rumor, and Tua just got thrown to the ground like a ragdoll. Is he okay? He's not okay, is he? No, Tua doesn't even know what state he's in. Look at him. Look at what he's doing to his hands. He don't know where he is. He is out. They slammed him to the ground, dude. That was that was vicious. That was like whiplash in the worst way. So whatever Tua was going through last week, lead into this game, that's nothing compared to this. I I, I don't know if he's all right. That was scary. I didn't see who had the sack, but they threw him to the ground, and then like Tua was lying on his back, and his like hands are watch this. Wrapped him up, threw him to the ground, and bam, the back of his uh. Back of his head hit the uh, turf, just like last week. Hope he's okay. Really, that was scary. Um, But we'll see. We'll see what happens here. And you hope that the quarterback is going to be okay. You never want to see any injuries or anything like that. Speaking of quarterbacks, Jets are going to get their starting quarterback back on the field on Sunday afternoon. That, of course, is going to be Zach Wilson, all medically cleared, all good to go, ready to rock and roll. Knee issues are a thing in the past. And it's about time, right? It's about time. Because the Jets are going to have to find out what they have in this kid sooner rather than later. And ideally, the goal is for him to play the remaining 14 games of the season. I still have to remind myself because of the extra game. It just seems weird. So there's still 14 more games to play, and you want him to be able to take the field for each and every one of them and to remain durable. Now, I mean, is there a chance that Sunday he comes out, and maybe he's not where you want him to be necessarily because he missed. I mean, he missed six weeks. It's not just three games. He missed six weeks, which means reps in practice, getting into that flow. There's probably going to be a little bit of rust. And if I go back to last year, remember that first game he returned after his injury in the middle of the season? It was in Houston against the Texans, and the Jets won that game, but they won it largely on the strength of the run game that day. But Zach that afternoon, he was 14 of 24 for 145 yards and an interception. He actually had a rushing touchdown that day, but it was like a sneak from like a couple of yards out down near the goal line. But especially the first half, he looked out of sorts in in half number one. Um, And so I don't know if the same thing is going to hold true this week. You really and truly don't know. But you have to expect that there is going to be a little bit of time he needs before he can go wreck out there and just be like, oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good to go. Um, Mike LaFleur, who's the offensive coordinator, of course, for the Jets, he was asked today when he met the media, how has Zach looked so far? I think the thing that stuck out to to me the most non-physical was just um just how free and for lack of a better term how excited he is just to be out there with his teammates. So um again I know he's pumped and uh it's it's going to take my, myself um the rest of the offensive unit the rest of the, everybody. I mean it's not it's not just him. It's just we're all just excited that uh you know he gets to go play. Yeah, I don't know how much I the I don't know how much necessarily the game plan is going to change. I mean, it remains to be seen, right? But you would have to think that, I don't know if they're going to, like, empty the kitchen sink for this game on Sunday afternoon, right? I, I, I mean, you don't think that they are. Um, you would think that there would be a heavy reliant on the run game. And, you know, that was also something that Michael Floor has been asked about here. They're actually stretcher. they're taking two off on a stretcher, not the card, an actual stretcher. Um, it, it's very scary. You know, and they've already, you know, taken a couple of commercial breaks here. The Dolphins are all, like, huddled around them at midfield. uh, And they got the stretcher out that they're waiting to get them up on and and getting them off the field. That is is a a scary scene. Um, But Jets have not really stayed with the run and remained committed to the run for all 60 minutes so far in these three games. Now, granted, when you fall behind, you're going to have to play catch-up. And that's why they've maybe gotten a little too pass-happy, if you will. I don't care if Joe Flacco's your quarterback. I don't care if Zach Wilson's your quarterback. I don't care if Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback, whoever. You shouldn't be throwing the ball, you know, 50-plus times a game week in and week out. I mean, Joe Flacco, like, leads the world in pass attempts so far in the first three weeks of the season. That That is not the way that it should be. Um, even though the Jets have playmakers at the receiver positions and whatnot, it, it, that just does not lend itself to a balanced attack, and especially – Given the new faces and the changes that are going to be up front on the offensive line. Because you could go into this game on Sunday with two tackles in Connor McDermott and Max Mitchell, who you didn't really think were going to be playing all that much for you at the beginning of the season. Right. Max Mitchell was supposed to almost be like on a redshirt season. Learn the NFL, develop, you know. Get bigger, get stronger, get acclimated to the speed of the game, and then maybe, you know, we'll see you again next year to play some meaningful uh, snaps and some meaningful reps. Connor McDermott was a guy who was on the practice squad when training camp ended. Now, because of all the injuries to the tackles, these might be your two guys. Now, look, when you look at that Pittsburgh defense, we just got done talking to Jerry. It still scares you at times, but T.J. Watt not playing is a big boost to not have to contend with him. But Alonzo Highsmith has himself a handful of sacks this year. He's done a nice job. You know, Miles Jack, Cam Hayward. You still have some guys on that defense that could apply a pass rush, but the most important one is not going to be playing in T.J. Watt. That would make you think they'd be even more eager to want to run the football and take some of the pressure off the quarterback, and it also helps the quarterback maybe remain upright and not have to put those tackles out there on an island, which ordinarily you think that they won't have happen. You know, they'll probably be an extra tight end over there. Maybe they play a little 12 personnel in this game, maybe even some 13 personnel. That first game against the Baltimore Ravens, they came out in 13 personnel with the three tight ends, helped out with the blocking schemes, and so on and so forth. And you might see more of that on Sunday. I think you should see more of that on Sunday. You know, maybe get them a little bit more involved in the offense. I, one of the talking points in the preseason was Jets are going to have some tight ends that factor into the passing game. Tyler Conklin's got a lot of catches, but I don't know if a lot of them are, like, impactful catches. Most of them, unfortunately, are when the Jets are behind, and they're kind of just, like, throwing the ball late in the game to try to get a little bit closer. And the defense is giving up yardage and trading it for clock. CJ is a guy who really hasn't gotten into the act much. I think he's got one target this year. Just one. You know, you want to see him be a little bit more involved in this offense. You know, a guy who knows the Pittsburgh Steelers inside and out, having played in the AFC North all those years. They got two and now um on the stretcher and they're wheeling him off the field and they have him strapped up, the hands are secured and all those things, you know, they're taking all the precautions given the fact that, you know, you saw his head hit the hit the turf there. It was it was just like you know, you think of whiplash in a car accident. That's that's what it looked like. I mean, he got flung to the ground. So obviously your prayers are out there for the Dolphin quarterback. You hope that he's okay. And in the meantime, our old friend Teddy Bridgewater is going to take over now for the Miami Dolphins, uh, certainly at least for the rest of this game with them trailing 7-6. to one nine three seven is the telephone number. We'll talk a little bit more, Jets. When we come back, we'll also get into the Giants as well. One of these teams is going to be 3-1 and one come Sunday afternoon. The Giants or the Bears? And who would have thought that was a possibility at the beginning of the season? Dan Gross' show, 98.7 ESPN.
0: You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight.
2: This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple.
1: Jeff Albrecht, the Jet defensive coordinator, spoke today as well. You know, the coordinators speak on Thursdays to the media, give their side of things. Uh, And one of the questions that was asked to Jeff today was regarding the defensive line rotation. And it's no secret that, you know, in that defense, they like to shuttle the linemen in and out because they feel that they have enough capable players to be able to go in there and get the job done and also in an effort to keep the players fresh. Right. That's the way that they've always done it. That's the way that they did it under Robert Sala back in 2019 with the San Francisco 49ers when that defense was good enough to help get them all the way to a Super Bowl. So nothing has changed in that regard. So Quinnen Williams is arguably their best player on that defensive line. He's having a really, really good season. You know, he got that sack over the weekend as well. Um, and winning a lot of one-on-one matchups. But even Quinnen is someone who's not going to log as many snaps as maybe you would anticipate just because that is the way the defense is structured. So Jeff Olbrich was asked, is it hard to take Quinnen off the field during the rotations and not have him out there as much as maybe fans would like?
2: That is the instinct, for sure. You know, there's like these critical moments in game, and, and why is Quinn not out there? You know, and you look to the side, and he's gasping for air. You know, so just got to be judicious with it. Got to absolutely use him as much as we can, and as much as we can in critical moments, for sure. You know, but I still think there has to be a level of rotation. He plays at such a high clip, and he goes so hard that sometimes more is less, or more isn't necessarily as good because now you're you're not seeing the speed, the explosiveness, all the the special stuff from an athletic standpoint that he brings.
1: Well, yeah. You know- and there's a few people that are, like, misinterpreting the comments there of Jeff Ulbrich. If you listen to the entire quote and not just that one, all right, he's not sitting there saying that, that Quinn and Williams, you know, gets winded easily and that he's not in shape or, you know, anything along those lines. It's like, no, what he's saying is is that the dude empties the tank every single play that he lines up as soon as the ball is snapped. But even Aaron Donald, boys and girls— does not play 100% of the snaps for his team, okay? The, the, these guys have to come off the field every once in a while. But the guy gives max effort on every single play that he brings. And think about it. Where would this Jets' defense, defensive line be without Quinn and Williams right now, right? That's how important he is to them. So you got to make sure that he – and not only that, you don't want a player out there – look, they're human beings. They're not robots. It's no different than a car that doesn't have any gas. If you're going to leave a player out there for, you know, every single snap by the. Especially, why do you think teams go hurry up on offense? They go hurry up on offense because they want to tire out the defense. It's hard to make substitutions on the other side of the field. You want to keep them on as much as possible, you want them sucking wind a little bit, but. That's what this defense and the way they employ this strategy and this rotation, that's what they aim to guard against, being caught in those situations, to keep having as many fresh bodies out there as possible. I don't think there was any anything derogatory or malicious in what Jeff Ulbrich was saying. And again, people just hear like one thing and they run with it. That—that that, That's not the case in any way, shape, or form here. But the bottom line is, look, defense is going to have to do their part on Sunday. Pittsburgh Steelers, they could spin it any way they want. Steelers are not a good offense. They're not. You know, the Jets should go out there this week and do their part in keeping them in this football game. And if there are a few rough patches, if you will, from Zach Wilson and company and just trying to work off the rust from being out as much as possible offensively, you know, this is a game that the defense should have a big say in. Steelers are not a dynamic offense in any way, shape or form, and they have struggled mightily so far this season mightily now as far as the Giants are concerned you think of it this way either the Giants or the Bears are going to be three and one by Sunday afternoon Bears I thought were one of the worst teams in football before the season started Giants are obviously starting over with Joe Shane and Brian Dayball but somebody's gonna be three and one and I don't think that either one of them could have ever fathomed or their fans that that would be the case and by the way we'll do our Giants Behind Enemy Lines preview tomorrow, we're going to have Tom Thayer on, former Bears offensive lineman. Now he's a part of the Bears Radio Network. He'll join us to talk a little Chicago Bear football, plus our usual Football Friday stuff, Jordan Renan on the Giants. Buttle's going to join me to talk a little Jets. We'll do our picks for you. So our big little Football Friday extravaganza. But with the Giants, I know that they lost on Monday night, and I know that, you know, you saw some warts in that game. And you saw some things that maybe concerned you to a certain extent. And one of the things that presented itself in that game is one that can also, I think, be a little bit problematic when I look to what they could see on Sunday afternoon. Because the Bears are not going to be confused with an explosive offense anytime soon. They're just not. Justin Fields, like, Jets have thrown the ball a lot. The first three weeks, the Bears have been the complete opposite. The Bears have like set a record for fewest pass attempts in the first three weeks of the season. They don't let Justin Fields do anything. Now, to a certain degree, those numbers are going to be brought down because remember, the Bears played that first game in a monsoon against San Francisco. So that wasn't really a condition to conduit, you know, that was conducive to throwing the football all that much. But you know what the Bears do pretty well? They run the football well. And they've had success, at least in that regard. At times this season, it's been good enough to at least win them two football games, even though it wasn't maybe overly impressive. But Dave Montgomery could run the football, and that offensive line is doing a nice job, you know, opening up holes and trying to grind it out and and to win ugly, as far as that's concerned. So where I look at things for the Giants on Monday, or excuse me, on Sunday, and how they're going to walk off this field victorious, I'm a little skeptical. Because Leonard Williams, him not playing Monday night in that game against Dallas, you saw what his absence meant. Because the Cowboys were able to have success running the football. Leonard Williams still not practicing this week. And if he isn't going to be able to go again on Sunday, then that plays right into Chicago's hands, does it not? And then you might think that there's going to be room to navigate for them on the ground. I mean, they they put the ball in their running back's hands. They tell their defense to go out there and do their thing. And if you're Justin Fields, hey, kid, just don't lose us the game. That's what it comes down to. Now, on the other side of things, it's quite apparent that, yet again, when you think about the Giants and what they do offensively, yeah, their offensive line leaves a lot to be desired. I get it. But Saquon Barkley is their best player. He is, again. Imagine, see what happens when he's healthy? You see what happens when he is healthy. But all this guy's got to do now is continue to be fed the rock, go out there and try to make as many plays as possible, and also try to overcompensate for an offensive line, which at times leaves Daniel Jones running for his life, like we saw on Monday. But Saquon talked today, as a matter of fact, about how important is this for him just in terms of now finishing out the first half of the season and finishing strong, or first quarter of the season, I should say.
3: You wanna win every game you can. Uh, so you definitely would rather be three and one than two and two. But like I said, you don't go in any game with the mindset of like, okay, you know, if we're two and two, then what? You know, if that if that happens, then you prepare for that. But you go with the mindset, trying to win a game, trying to do whatever you can to win the game. And uh, if you can get to three and one in the first quarter of the season, um, you know, obviously not looking too far ahead. You never satisfied but I, I would say that's a pretty good start. And we gotta find a way to get to three and one against a very good team who's playing really well. So Try capitalizing
1: it, and I—I I, I threw this out there maybe a week ago, after the first couple of games, you know. And Saquon had that great first game, and then you know the production at least has maybe been scaled back ever so slightly the the last two weeks. But if the Giants are what we thought they were, and if the Giants are a team that's still playing for the future, and I don't think realistically you can expect them to be a playoff contender this year. At what point, if Saquon Barkley continues to do his thing? do you start to think about maybe he's trade bait for us by the deadline, right? Remember, he's a running back. And I don't know how long he's going to be here with this team. Remember, his situation is very much up in the air coming the offseason, just like Daniel Jones. So if you're not going to re-sign him to a huge money contract because he's a running back, and who knows if another team is also going to follow suit, if he's productive and if he's healthy and another team calls you up and is willing to give you a pretty darn good draft choice, like some of the draft choices that Joe Douglas gets whenever he trades away veteran players, like robbing teams? How do you not think about that if you're Joe Shane, right? I mean, I know that St. Quon Barkley's a giant. He wants to be here, all these things. But, I mean, for the good of the football team, how can you say no if somebody puts, like, a super impressive offer in front of you to make this football team better? I, I think it's something that you have to consider. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. 919 3776 That is the telephone number. We come back. We're going to close it out on the phones. We'll take it right up until the top here with Gordon and Larry. And we'll also set the scene for you here as to what we can uh, preview for our big Football Friday extravaganza. Dan Gross' show. It's 98.7 ESPN.
0: You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight.
1: You could bet that there is going to be fallout from this one um you know there was some question as to whether or not Tua was even going to be allowed to play in this game and then to suffer the injury like uh he did tonight uh in that manner not good not good at all harry's in seattle he's up next here on 98 ESPN. spn harry how are you i'm doing well thank you for taking my call what's up harry well i was wondering a couple of things first of all do you think it would be to the yankees advantage when they offer a contract to Aaron Judge to also offer him
2: the captaincy, to be a captain. I I, I think he deserves to be the captain.
1: I think he's the, you know, default captain. I don't, you know, obviously he hasn't been anointed that, but I think everybody on that team knows that he is indeed the leader on that team. But I'll tell you this, Harry, if it was just me speaking, and I already held out and said no to $213 million dollars, To me, I think a few more zeros are more important than the letter C. You know what I'm saying? He held out for a reason. He wants to be rewarded for what he feels is fair. And I don't think a captaincy is going to sway him to come back to the Yankees in in a trade-off for, let's say, a hometown discount.
0: I I don't know. You you listen to him talk about the Yankee great, the Yankee legacy, just being a Yankee. It's different than playing for any other ball team in the major leagues. And I think – I think he could be – I personally think he could be swayed by the additional offering of being the captain That would officially. I agree with you. I think he is a de facto captain in the clubhouse. They look up to him physically
1: and literally and figuratively. But um, I think he would be swayed. I think he could be. And I also thought it was interesting, by the way, that he hit number 61 in game number 155. Yeah, I I mean, all these similarities, you know, October 1st is also the day that that, that Maris hit his and October 1st is coming up on Saturday. Maybe Judge is going to get an opportunity to do that. And Harry, thank you for the phone call. I I, I disagree about the whole captaincy thing. If you think that Aaron Judge is going to, you know, take less to stay with the Yankees if they kick in a captaincy, I I mean, you know, welcome to the, uh, you know, welcome to planet Earth. Really? I mean, the guy the guy already, you know, stuck to his guns and bet on himself, and he didn't do that. You know, Aaron Judge didn't turn down the Yankee contract offer in spring training because they didn't offer the captaincy. Like, how about this? I'll ask you a question. If you're going car shopping, right, and you go to two different dealerships, for example, for the same car, and, you know, dealership A wants you to pay, you know, spend, let's say they give you a price, You can have $30,000, and the car is yours. But if another place says, well, you can have the car for $40,000, but we'll kick in a nice air freshener with it, I don't think that that's going to sway the person to spend an extra $10,000 just because they're getting a free air freshener. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the, you know, if, if San Francisco is offering Judge $350 million and the Yankees are offering 300 but they're going to give, make him the captain. He's going to San Francisco. You know? Let's say hi to Joan in Queens up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Joan, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Outstanding. What's on your mind tonight? I wrote a
3: song for Aaron Judge. I used to work for the New York Yankees for the president for many years. And I wrote a song for the Yankees quite a few years ago in the 90s when they won the World Series and they put it on Channel 5 for a long time for the weekend, and I said, now Aaron Judge deserves a song.
1: So you wrote a new song. This one is for Aaron Judge. Do you want us to sing us a little bit of this song? Do you have it ready? I, will, I have it ready, and if you're ready, I'm ready. Um, let, let's hear it. I think New York is ready. Let's hear this, Joan. I hope so. Okay. Yeah. It's to the tune of How Lucky Can You Get. Oh, okay. Aaron Judge,
3: you did it. You hit home run 61. How lucky can you get? Handsome New York Yankee, six foot seven, what a hunk. How lucky can you get? Every game we wonder, will you do it again? Hit another home run, right to heaven. We're all so proud of you, Judge, so go make your mark. Go hit that ball out of the park. Oh, how lucky can you, wee? How lucky can you, wow?
1: How lucky can you get? Bring the That's trumpet, play the song. Joan, that was very good. Congrats! Seriously, you. that was good. Thank you so much. Look at that—you got the Yankee music behind
0: it. Joan, here's
1: what I'm going to ask you to do: if you can put your musical writing talents to task, I'm going to ask you to write a song for our song here, or for our show here. How about that? Can you can you write oh, I, a, a theme song for our show here on this program? For the Michael K. Show? No, this is the Dan Grasso show. Michael K. Shows in the afternoon. Did you just hear my song? I heard your song, absolutely. Oh, yes. So give me the name of your show. It's the Dan Grasso Show. This is the one you're calling.
3: Oh, I okay. And, I, and you, I thought it was Michael K. I took the number from the phone I was looking up. I don't
1: know. Oh, no. Michael K's on at 3. You can call him tomorrow afternoon and play him that song. I'm sure he would love to hear it, Joan. But thank you very much for the music. And you know maybe we'll just play that as the intro to our show tomorrow.
0: Now back to Dan Grassa on ninety eight point <laughs> seven ESPN.
1: Yeah, we'll include that in the song. Make sure that that's like that's part of the remix. That's part of the, uh, the 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 club mix, right? Meantime, I'm sitting there like looking for the whole thing. Like the bring me trumpet, play the song. <laughs> oh, see, you know what? You don't always end a show on a song, but tonight we did. I don't know what that means, but whatever. It was good.
0: This is the Dan Grasse Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs>